I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Welcome to season four of The Pink Elephant podcast. I'm so ready for another year of this podcast. I've been busy over the holidays thinking, planning, praying and going deeper. And I'm convinced that what is ahead for you will challenge and refine you and as always take you deeper in your love and faith in Jesus. In this first episode, well, I mean, what can I say? I can't think of an interview that has so richly affected me personally. I actually first met Denise, today's interviewee, through a college Zoom facilitation, and I knew there was something special about this biblical scholar by a response she had to a statement I made. I said, Denise, the further I go into study of the Bible, the more I feel like I know absolutely nothing. To which she replied, Melanie, I've been studying the Bible for decades. And I can confidently say that the further I go, the more I realize the exact same thing. I'm not sure if she even remembers that conversation, but what an utterly brilliant response. Now, Denise definitely knows a thing or two about the Bible. She has a theology degree with honours and she has a doctorate. And she's taught at several Bible colleges around Australia. And of course, she's a pastor too. But what I loved about her response was her humility. And it shows in the way she approaches the Bible. This interview is truly exceptional. I'm not sure if it's been edited out, but there were so many times in this interview that I said, wait, Denise, can you go back to the thing you just said? I was literally hanging on every word, taking plenty of my own notes. So listeners, here is the interview where Denise takes us on a journey through her exploration of the book of Luke, the subject of her thesis, which was the references and uses of the word righteous in the book of Luke. Well, hi, Denise. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited about all the stuff that you're going to share with us today. I would love it because there's a good chance that our listeners may have no idea about who you are. So I'd love it if you could just, in a nutshell, give us a few things about you that describes you as, as a person. Sure, Melanie. And I'm actually really excited to be on the podcast too. Former student, <laughs> great to see you doing stuff. So, yeah, who am I? I guess I'm all sorts of things, but for the purposes of this podcast, I'm a biblical scholar. Mm. So I've got a PhD in religious studies from University of Queensland. And while I was there, I did my thesis on the Gospel of Luke. And by the time I finished it, which was four years, I still wasn't sick of it. And <laughs> I regard that as the measure of success. You're not, you're not sick of your topic by the end of it. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, so I did that because I guess I've always been fascinated with the Bible since I was like a teenager, I guess, and especially the parts that are written in the form of narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love the Gospels. Like that's my sweet spot. You probably know that, having been a student. So, so I'm a biblical scholar, but I'm also a part-time pastor of a church. So I'm also very interested in how the Bible intersects with life and how it, like there's not much use if the Bible's just a object of academic study. Mm. So in my role as pastor, I'm, I'm thinking every day about how it relates to people, the impact that it makes in people's lives. Mm. 
So, so yeah, I'm a biblical scholar. I'm a pastor. And then family's super important to me as well. Mm. I've been married to Andrew for 34 years. We have two adult sons that I'm immensely proud of. Mm. And both of those got married this year. It's been a big year. Yes, yes, it has been. So I'm suddenly a mother-in-law and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm working out how to do that now. I'm mother-in-law to two lovely young women. Mm. Oh, wow. So, so that's who I am. Yeah. Have you been a Christian all your life then too, Denise? Did you grow up in a Christian family? No, I didn't. It was probably late teens and then early 20s. But I think I've always felt a sense of closeness to God mm. right from as early as I can remember. Although it wasn't like I didn't really understand. I hadn't mm. really heard what I'd call the gospel. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, part of the reason I've brought you on the podcast is because of the thesis that you did. I think you were saying it was four years ago or something like that. And and I think it'd be best if you explain what your thesis was actually, because I'm probably going to stuff it up. But yeah, that I remember hearing about it on a facilitation only briefly and thinking that would be awesome. Like what an interesting thing to look into. And yeah. And then when I was starting to look at what episodes to do for 2024, I thought, Oh gosh, wouldn't it be great to have Denise talk about that? So would you be able to tell us a little bit about the topic that you studied and yeah, why you chose it, how you came to be interested in it? Yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting, Melanie. Sometimes I feel like I finished the thesis and it was only a year or two later that I thought, wait, what what am I saying? Like what, <laughs> what conclusion did I come to? Like what? What does this actually mean? You're so mm. focused on getting through a PhD that sometimes it takes a little while to sink in what mm. it is that you actually concluded. But, yeah, I, I got interested in this topic about what it means to be righteous and particularly in the Gospel of Luke. I love the Gospel of Luke because I love a good story and the story that Luke tells about Jesus is just fascinating. And I, he, he tells so many parables in, or Luke records so many parables of Jesus that aren't recorded anywhere else. And there's this one parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's in Luke chapter mm. 18. Yes. And at the very end of that parable, Jesus says that the tax collector went home righteous, or sometimes the word used is justified. The mm -hmm. tax collector went home righteous rather than the Pharisee. I started thinking about that and I thought, what did it mean that the tax collector went home righteous? Like, is that saying something about the status of the tax collector, that what status he now has before God, like he'd been declared righteous or made righteous? Mm. And if so, like on what basis was that? Mm. Because when we start to talk about what it means to be righteous, we would probably talk about faith in Jesus. Yes. But this is a parable. Jesus hasn't died yet. He tells this parable, this story, and he's he's making a point. Mm. Well, what point is he making? He didn't say, and then the tax collector had faith in me and went home righteous or went yes. home justified. So, so like, what is the point? And actually it's probably important to 
give a little side note here. In mm. English, we have two different word roots. We use the word righteous as an adjective mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes as a noun, so the righteous ones. But when it comes to the verb, we don't say God righteous me. Mm. We say God justified me. So yes. they're two different words, right, righteous mm. and, and justified. But in Greek, both of those words come from one root. So the noun and the adjective is dikaios mm. and the verb is dikaioo. Uh, mm. So when we're reading the story of Luke in English, we might not see the connection when mm. the word justified is used and the word righteous is used. Um, but in the Greek, they come from the same root. Mm. I, a little bit like the word love, I guess. Like we use love as a noun, but we also use it as a verb. I have love in my heart or I can love someone. Mm. So we can see the connection between those two. So, yeah, that little little side note. Yeah, yeah. So so really for you it all started with that one parable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. How interesting. Yeah. So is Luke known to, like, refer to righteousness a lot? Like what's the what's known about Luke? I, I read some stuff about Paul's use of righteousness in the New Testament when I was preparing for this podcast, but is it unique in, in Luke? Yeah, so that's what's been interesting about the thesis is Paul's the one who's most known for talking about being righteous or being justified or righteousness or any of that language, mm. but Luke's been a bit overlooked so Luke is doing something completely different than Paul. And one of the ways that that's obvious is the way that they both talk about sin. So Paul talks a lot about sin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he talks about sinners. And and I, I looked it up before this podcast, Melanie, mm. and I, <laughs> Paul talks, Paul mentions the word sinners eight times. Right. But he talks about sin over 50 times. So he's really interested in sin. Mm. And he's very insistent that all humans have been tainted by sin. And so in Paul's mind, we're all sinners, which like makes total sense. Mm. And we need something to happen to make us righteous. Yeah. In other words, to make us right with God or restore a right relationship with God. And that something is Jesus. Mm. So that, that's Paul. But Luke is doing something very different. Not everyone is a sinner in Luke. Yes. There's a specific group of people that Luke calls sinners, and Jesus keeps getting into trouble for hanging out with them. Mm. And there are other people in Luke's gospel who are labelled as righteous. And specifically, if you think about the birth narrative in Luke, we, he starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth. He doesn't mm. start with Mary. Yes. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are labelled as righteous. These are two righteous people. And at the other end of the story, you've got Joseph of Arimathea, who is also righteous. Mm. And when I point that out to people, they have a really hard time with that because how can Paul, how can Luke say that these people are righteous? Like nobody's mm. righteous. You can yeah. only be righteous with, with faith in Jesus. Mm. But that's because they're reading Luke through their Paul glasses. You come with all of this theology that you've gotten from Paul mm. and then you go to Luke, you, you're reading it 
the wrong way. You're reading it yes. with with Paul's theology in mind, but but yeah, Luke's Luke's doing something different, and that that's most clearly seen by the way that Luke has these sinners, and not everyone is a sinner, and and some people are righteous. Um, yeah, yeah so, so the thesis was sort of unpacking some of that. Yeah, that's actually very interesting. And I think if you just read the Bible, you probably wouldn't think about those kind of nuances between the text within it. So explain your process to us. Like what what how did you actually go about your thesis? What were you looking for when you 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 started on 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 the outset there? Yeah, okay. So I started with that parable and I got a bit intrigued about this whole topic. So then I thought, well, how do how does one find out this stuff? And I, I just started reading Luke really closely, like really closely. Mm. And I read it from beginning to end because stories are supposed to be read mm. from beginning to end. And and by saying it's a story, you know, I'm not I'm not insinuating it's it's fiction. But but the way that Luke is telling us about Jesus, he does it in a story, and stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm. And they're supposed to be read from yes. the beginning rather than skipping all over the place like we often do mm. when we read a gospel. Yeah. So I actually sat down and translated the whole of Luke because, oh, wow. as you know, mm. uh, translating is an excellent way to just slow down and notice things. And one of the things that I noticed when I did that is that Pharisees, tax collectors, and or sinners, they kind of go together in mm-hmm. Pharisees, tax collectors, and language about being righteous often went together in Luke. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered why that was. Like why is Luke putting tax collectors and sinners on one side of an equation mm-hmm. and Pharisees on the other? So he does it in Levi's banquet. I don't know if you remember that story where there's these Pharisees complain about Jesus eating with sinners. Yes. Because Levi is a tax collector. And yes, then Levi, right. Levi throws this banquet for Jesus and invites all his mates along. Mm-hmm. And, and the Pharisees get very upset because Jesus is eating with sinners and mm. he shouldn't be doing that. And Jesus says, well, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He also, there's also Luke 15, those parables about lost things. There's mm. lost sheep, there's lost coins, there's lost sons. There's, again, there's Pharisees, there's sinners. People are upset with Jesus because he's eating with sinners. And there's mm. language about being righteous. And and then, of course, there's this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Another place is in Luke 7. Mm-hmm. And it's in 29 to 30. I've got it here. Mm-hmm. It says, now, all the people who heard this, it, this is like a little narrative aside. Mm-hmm. A narrative aside is when a narrator sort of steps into the story and gives some direction to the reader about how they should understand this bit. Mm-hmm. And so Luke kind of steps in and he says, now, all the people who heard this, even the tax collectors, Proved God right, or you could say justified God, it's either way. Mm-hmm. Proved God right because they had been baptized with John's baptism. However, the Pharisees and experts in the religious law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they'd not been baptized by John. And so, what seems to be happening in this narrative aside is that 
Luke is setting up tax collectors who justify God or prove God to be right on one side of mm-hmm. this equation and Pharisees who reject God's plan on the other side. Mm. So, so it's, it's, a, it's just the two verses, but it's, yeah. it's Luke directing us. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I kind of read from beginning to end. I slowed down. I, I translated it. And then after noticing that these three elements are clustered together in a number of places, I went back to the beginning and I tried to imagine that I'd never read Luke's gospel before. Hmm. Now, that's an impossible thing to do. but <laughs> Yes, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I asked myself, well, how might I understand this story as it unfolded if I was a first century follower of Jesus or someone interested in knowing Jesus? And particularly these bits that had this language about being righteous or, or characters portrayed as righteous. And I, I paid really close attention to the sequence or the plot mm. um, because what you read at the beginning of a story impacts how you see things, like how you understand later parts of the story. So, mm. so that was kind of my process. It was yeah, a right. very, very literary um, yes. process. Yes, yeah. of course. It seems like, and and you can correct me if this is wrong, it seems like there's like a, a bit of a pattern of contrast that's happening between the Pharisees and the tax collectors and sinners. And so what would you say is the most significant contrast being made between these kind of two characters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So it's kind of like Luke setting up these two categories of, of people, and but then he, he sets them up. And then he kind of messes with them. Mm. So really early in the story, there's five different people who are either labelled as righteous, like that word is actually there, mm-hmm. or they're very obviously portrayed as righteous because of the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes authors show rather than tell, right? And would you say that that would be consistent with how the Old Testament often talks about righteousness as well am i yeah veering? yeah yeah a little bit that that is one of the traits actually of the righteous characters so you've got zachariah and elizabeth and in luke chapter one the way that they're described is and this is right at the very beginning there's a priest named zachariah and he had a wife named elizabeth Mm-hmm. They were both righteous in the sight of God. And then he goes on following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. So you mm. see how that he almost defines what yes. being righteous means. It it means following the commandments and ordinance of, of the Lord blamelessly. So mm. that then, this idea of um, being a Torah, you know, Jewish mm. law, obeying Torah, that gets connected here mm. with what it means to be righteous. Mm. Um, a little later on we get Simeon and Anna mm-hmm. uh, at the, in that temple scene when, when the baby Jesus is brought, mm-hmm. and they also get uh, labelled as righteous. And the trait that's happening there is that they're waiting expectantly for God to come and save his people. So that gets connected. So Luke connects these two traits to what it means to be righteous. They're Torah-obeying people and they're eagerly anticipating the time when God's going to step in and save his people and put things right. Mm. But the other trait 
there's a third trait, and that is that all of these people, and Mary is the other one, all of these people recognise that Jesus is the one who's come to save God's people. Mm. So you have these five people who are righteous and they recognise who Jesus is. Mm. So people who are righteous recognise who Jesus is. And not just one of them, not two, not three, there's five people. So now mm. we know what righteous people look like. Yeah. So we move further on in the narrative and we get to the first sinner. Any idea who that might, might be? It's Peter. Right. So the the first time we meet Peter is in Luke 5, and it's this that's, this is the fishing incident. There's this miraculous catch of fish. Yes. Peter's out in the boat with Jesus, and he's just gobsmacked, as you would be, and he just he just sort of looks at Jesus and just falls to his knees, and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Right. So now we've got someone who self-identifies as a sinner and somehow he recognises that being in the presence of Jesus is being in the presence of the divine. Mm. That, that little story, it's written very much like the where when Isaiah goes into the temple in Isaiah 6, part from me, I'm woe to me, I'm a, yes. a man who lives amongst an unclean people. Mm-hmm. So... So it's a little bit of a surprise that this mm. sinful man recognises Jesus and recognises Jesus' mission because up until now it's only been the righteous ones who've recognised Jesus. So it's a mm. little twist, mm. a little twist in the story. The next thing that happens is you, you get to the Pharisees not long after we meet Peter, and the scene there is in the story of Jesus healing the paralysed man, the, the guy that... His friends lowered him through the roof. Yes. And and Jesus says he forgives the man's sin. And the Pharisees are, are just outraged. And mm. they say, who, who is this who mm. speaks blasphemy? Well, do you notice their first words? Their first words is, who is this? Mm. They're, they're not recognizing who Jesus yes. is. And so we've come from the beginning of Luke's gospel and and we're going, well, hang on a minute. Wouldn't the Pharisees be the righteous ones? Like, mm. aren't they the ones who they're so, they're so enthusiastic about obeying God's laws? Like, how come they're not recognizing Jesus? Mm. Because righteous people recognize Jesus through this story. So the way that the story unfolds actually raises these questions. We're yes. expecting the righteous ones to recognize Jesus, and then suddenly mm. a sinner does. And then these ostensibly righteous people don't recognise Jesus. Mm. Uh, then you come to, to Levi's banquet that, mm. that we've mentioned, the Levi yes. tax collector, uh, decides to follow Jesus, throws this banquet, and the Pharisees get very upset as Jesus is eating with sinners. And Jesus says, those who are well don't need a physician, mm. but those who are sick do. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And so now we've got two very clear categories, mm. very contrasting categories. We've got the righteous and we've got the sinners. Mm. And now which category do we think the righteous, which category do the, do the Pharisees think they're in? Yes. Well, 
I'm pretty sure they think they're not in the sinner category. That's right. But there's but there's this irony here. Luke Luke does a lot of irony. He he mm. loves irony. So so now we're we're starting to get this uncertainty about who's actually belongs in which category. Mm. And and that's kind of Luke's whole story. As his story unfolds, the boundaries that have been set up with these two categories, they just get more and more blurry mm. until by the end it's it's hard to figure out who belongs in which category. Mm. And finally we get to this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and it's the tax collector, the sinner, who we discover is in the category of the righteous. He's the one who goes home righteous rather mm. than the Pharisee. So the categories have been, if not completely overturned, they're certainly not clearly defined anymore. Mm, yes. It's, it's kind of like the boundaries have broken down. Mm. It seems that, like it was a, yeah, it absolutely does. It seems like it's been a very intentional theme in the book of Luke, which in all honesty, yeah. I probably did not think that before. No, and I I wouldn't have either, but it, it was when I when I translated it in the Greek, and I've actually got a whole chapter in the book, which nobody but Greek people want to read. It, it's all about the Greek and this language in the Greek and how you can show from the Greek usage that this is an intentional literary theme. Mm. Like it's used in a narrative aside. It's used way more than any of the other gospels use it mm. um joseph of arimathea for example is only called righteous in luke's gospel he appears yeah. in the other gospels but that terminology isn't connected and mm. that levi's banquet thing that's that's what people call a programmatic statement that jesus makes i've not come to call the righteous but sinners like okay mm. here's what i'm doing i'm calling sinners this is what yeah. i'm here for mm. um so oh and of course the the climactic scene. Yeah. Can can I talk about Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I think that was so, my next question anyway. So yes, let's go for it. Yeah. So so Jesus is portrayed in a very interesting way in Luke. And I argue in the thesis that Jesus is portrayed as both sinner and righteous. Mm. So he intentionally places himself in the category of sinner. And as you go through Luke's gospel, you can see this. He he gets accused in Luke of being a glutton and a drunk. Mm. He's a friend of sinners, and that's not a compliment. It's an accusation. So uh, is he, that what that would be likely to mean? Like when they say friend of sinners, it's like it's implied that it's like a glutton and a drunk. Well, the word glutton and drunk are actually there. I'm trying to think. I think that might be in Luke chapter 7, early in Luke chapter 7. Does it get uh, translated that way in English as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty it sure. It feels like I've been breezing over that. <laughs> oh, I oh, didn't know Jesus was a drunk. Huh? No, I, I didn't know he got well, uh, he, he gets referred accused to as being a drunk. Yeah. Funny how you've read the gospel so many times and you're just like, yeah, yeah, it's in it's in Luke seven thirty three. Okay, I've got uh, my Bible in front of me, so I'm just having a quick. Look. It's right after that narrative aside that I was talking about. Oh, it is. So thirty four. Yeah. So Luke seven thirty four says, "The Son of Man has yeah. come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners." There you go. 
Mm. Yeah, so that's the accusation that people are throwing at him. Mm. And and Jesus, I, he's, he's not adverse, really. He's kind of happy to be a friend of sinners. Yeah, so he gets accused of this. He hangs out with sinners. And then think about how his life ends. He, mm. He's executed as a criminal. Yes. There's a very interesting verse in Luke 23. You'll be interested in this because there's mm. a little textual variant, and I'm sure that you're interested in textual variants. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> so in Luke 23, verse 32, it says two other evildoers, or, or your translation might say criminals, mm-hmm. but it's, it's literally evildoers, two other evildoers were also led away to be executed with him. And when I first came across that, I'm like, what? Two other evildoers? Because doesn't that imply that Jesus was an evildoer too? Like you wouldn't say two other evildoers. It's like saying also, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And so this, this clearly bothered some copyists you know, the people who hand copied the Gospels for centuries before mm-hmm. the printing press was invented, because mm-hmm. at one point one of them obviously went, hang on a minute, that can't be right. Like that that makes Jesus sound like he's an evildoer. Can't, can't have that. And so they changed the wording to others, comma, to evildoers were also led away. Right. And so we've got some ancient manuscripts that have that textual variant, but the scholars who do all this textual work and spend their entire lives like studying textual variants, I, I don't know whether these people have other lives or not, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that they do this because yes. it, it helps me. Mm. Um, that they're convinced, and for all sorts of good reasons, that the original wording was to other evildoers. Well, that mm. strikes me That's very interesting. It's like Luke is portraying Jesus here as an evildoer. And, mm. and what is an evildoer but a sinner? Yes. So he's, he's paradoxically a sinner who hasn't sinned. Yes. Because in the trial scenes, Luke makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is innocent of any charge. So Pilate says he's innocent. Herod says he's innocent. Pilate says it again. In fact, Pilate makes the point five times all up very emphatically that Jesus is innocent. Mm. And so what have we got here? We've got Jesus is an innocent. And then on the cross, which is the climactic scene of Luke, do you remember the Roman centurion? He Mm -hmm. sees Jesus die and he says, truly this man was righteous. Yes. Now, in Matthew and Mark, the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. Yes. The way that Luke relates this, Luke's centurion says, truly this man was righteous. Oftentimes it gets translated as innocent, and that's a very valid translation, but it just... It just obscures the theme mm. of this this righteous theme that runs all the way through Luke when you translate it as innocent. I mm. think actually righteous is a, a better translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it doesn't mean innocent. It does, but 
but there's something going on here. Yes, yeah. This righteous man who is a he, he, in the same category as an evildoer. So, mm. so Jesus dies as a as a righteous sinner, mm. and we're we're trying to get our heads around that. And so, I I think what's happening is that Luke is making it clear that Jesus is choosing to be in solidarity mm. with sinners. Yes, and so much so that he's willing to die as a member of that category. Mm. He's he's willing to die being known as a criminal, as an evildoer. And yet there's this key declaration from the centurion, truly, and, and that Greek word means in reality or in truth or mm. in, in as a matter of fact, this man was righteous. Yeah. And at that point all these categories sort of collapse, like who is a sinner and, and who is righteous? One of the evildoers on the cross beside Jesus recognises Jesus. It's only in Luke that the two people who are executed with Jesus, they have a conversation. Uh, that's not in the other Gospels. There's there's two criminals in the other Gospels, but mm. this conversation doesn't get recorded. Mm. And so one of the evildoers, one of the criminals, like all of the other sinners in Luke, recognises who Jesus is. Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, paradise in first century Jewish thinking is the dwelling place of the righteous. Yeah, wow. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm a bit blown away by this. Yeah. Is that, I mean, you know, I'm trying to distill 200 (laughs) pages. Oh, no, I think you've done a brilliant job. My question is, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget. When you were talking about the scene with Peter, the first time when yep. the word sinner comes into play, I, I presume this would have been recognisable to the original hearers of this, that there is this distinction going on, right? Because for us, we read it and we, you know, the average person reads this and doesn't realise that this is such a significant theme that's going on and this a deliberate effort of Luke to intentionally contrast and then make some kind of point out of this, you know, especially through the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But you obviously read it as though you were trying to be an early lister or original yeah. lister. What, like what I'm trying to put myself in that situation because Luke is also known to be the one that was written to Gentiles and he himself was likely a Gentile and, you know, walked with Paul is what I understand the sort of background but yeah like can you talk about that like what the the significance of that message and the sudden interruption of this word sinner like what would that have been like for the early listeners from what you can imagine are you asking what the term sinner might have meant to the audience yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. I yeah. think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really hard question, actually, because as Gentiles, would they have been referred to as sinners? Well, that's the thing. Somebody needs to do another PhD <laughs> on on who exactly are the sinners. And actually, there there has been some scholarship on this, mm. but. Again, you read Luke and you skip over this, but you start thinking about this. Like I I see, I don't know, I, I drive home and I go past a bunch of tradies working on a house and I go, oh, there's some carpenters. 
Well, there, there's a plumber. There's an electrician, right? Mm. But do I see somebody walking down the street and go, oh, there's a sinner? Mm. Like who, who are the sinners? What is the identity of these sinners? Mm. Um, different people have different views. Some people say they are people who were not able to keep Torah because of their life situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe because it, it does, th then you've got this connection with the tax collectors, like tax collectors and sinners always go together. And the tax collectors were hated because, well, a couple of reasons. One, they, they kind of collaborated with the Romans. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're betrayers, right, of their yes. own people. Yeah, uh, they're, but they're also handling dirty Gentile money, mm. and that makes them unclean. So, yeah. you know, what, why do the two get put together? Nobody knows a hundred percent. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, and particularly in the Psalm, sinners are always contrasted. Like sinners in the Psalms, they're almost like a I don't quite want to say literary construct because it's not. It's not quite that, but, mm. you know, it's this sort of amorphous group. Like you don't recognise them just by looking at them. Yes. Um, but in, in the Psalms, they're, they're contrasted with the righteous. Mm. And so I think in in Jewish, and there's, there's debate over who is the first audience. I, I'm not sure that Luke was written to the Gentiles. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm sure it was read by Gentiles, but... It's so a continuation of the story of the Old mm, Testament. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's a very Jewish document, mm. uh, you know, whoever its audience was from. So, yeah, I'm not sure I've answered your question except to say that, I mean, do we do it? Do we categorise people and go, oh, they're the sinners? Absolutely. Like um, we may not do it so verbally but... Yeah. I think like the Christian community is often labeling internally who they mm -hmm. think is a sinner and who they think is righteous yeah. and what a righteous person looks like. It's a, yeah. it's a slightly nuanced way now to what it would have been defined in, you know, in the old Testament. And, and I even think the different flavors of denominations even look at it differently, you know, like within Pentecostalism, which is probably the tradition I'm more familiar with. It's, you know, someone who's, you know, speaks the word of God and they have those prophetic utterances and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then yeah. you kind of, it can, can veer into authority and it can veer into, you know, someone who's really powerful and passionate mm. and that's what faith is and that's what righteous is. Whereas yeah. some of the traditions I've probably been more associated with outside of that, I don't know what you would call it. I suppose they call it mainstream or, or something like that. Sometimes even, you know, the, the thoughtfulness, the, you know, speaking mm. softly and calmness and it can even then be pious, like pious. Yes, it's more pious, yep. yes, and it leads yeah, yeah. into false humility if you're not yeah. careful, right? So there's yeah, these extremes. Yeah. But we, we yeah, or reading that. your Bible every day. Like yes. the, I, I think there's, there's another one, like yes. oh, they're, they're righteous. Yep, Those they read people. their Bible every day. They pray every day for an hour. Yeah. And then, you know, there's these little little signs that we look for to determine yeah. who is righteous. Yeah. So do you see? Do you see the significance then? Yes. Of this? 
I think so. Everyday life. I do. I'd love it for you to unpack that more. Like what are the practical implications of this for our Christian society today? Because the message is still relevant. Absolutely. And, and I, I, yeah, I think I, I, I wrote my thesis, took me four years to do it. And I've been reflecting on it ever since I finished that in 2018. Mm. It's taken me about four years to unpack like, what does this mean? Mm. I, I did this text-based thing, but what what practical implications does it have? It makes me personally very wary of setting up categories mm. and judging who is in the category of the righteous and who is in the category of the sinner. Mm. The only characters in the story of Luke who thought these categories were very clearly defined were the Pharisees. Yes. And they thought they were in the category of the righteous. So I, like Luke scares me to death. Um, (laughs) It just just does. I feel like my thesis was a four-year smack in the face. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be a Pharisee, but I I see that in myself. It I don't know if I was reading Luke or if Luke was reading me. Yeah, wow. But I, I mean it's it's just changed the way I see so many things. It's changed the way I see people, it's mm. changed the way that I might define righteous and sinner. I don't think I do define righteous and sinner anymore. I mm. am too afraid to mm. do that because of what I've found here. Yeah, yes, it's I, so not clear cut. Like it's, and then, and intentionally, we, you know, yeah. like, and do we Luke, even have Luke the right is, to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luke is upending things mm. here. Yes, yeah. wow. I think we kind of answered the question after that, so I might move on to the next no, one. No, no, I don't think we have. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, you keep yeah, going yeah. then. So, so I, I, think, I think that one of the things that I discovered really early on, sometimes you can define things by their opposites. Mm-hmm. So you might know what good is if you understand what bad is. Yes. And the thing is that for Luke, the opposite to righteous is not unrighteous. It mm. is self-righteous. Yes. I need to write uh, that down. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And so going back to Paul again, for Paul, the, the biggest problem of humanity or the central problem of humanity is the flesh, right? Like we have to crucify the flesh. But mm. I think for Luke, for Luke, self-righteousness is Paul's flesh. Self-righteousness is the central problem of humanity. It's it's the trap that we all fall into and it is our undoing. So it made me really conscious of the times when I judge others as less because the worst thing that you can be in, in Luke's eyes, the worst thing that you can be is not a sinner. Jesus seems to delight in hanging out with people who are labelled sinners. The worst thing you can be is self-righteous, according mm. to Luke. You know, Jesus via Luke. They're the ones that Jesus gets very, very angry with. 
and I want to avoid going there at all costs. Mm, mm. It's interesting really because the description you gave about Jesus that he is both categorised in Luke as sinner at some points and then also righteous. Mm-hmm. But one thing he definitely is never categorised is as self-righteous. No, no, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's a number of there's a number of places in Luke where in English it comes through as you are the ones who justify yourself, mm. and and that's what self righteous is. It's it's well, it's thinking that you're right. I mean, that's what that's what righteous means. It means right. Mm. Um, people often don't realise that they think it's a very religious term, mm. but the term gets used all over like Greek literature. It's, it just simply means right. Mm. And so if you're self-righteous, mm. then you're very sure, aren't you, that you're mm. right. And I'd say to like the contrast between the Old Testament and what Luke is writing here is like the Old Testament was all about justifying yourself. Like it was still like justifying according to what, we believe the standard, like what the laws were set. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that because what I see very clearly in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophet, mm-hmm. is is God opposing the proud. I see mm-hmm. it in, in the Psalms as well. Yes. God oppo- opposes the proud and that gets brought through. Like it's the same message mm-hmm. in if you think about Mary's song in, in Chapter 1. Yeah. Mary's song is God will bring down the mighty from their thrones and raise mm. up the lowly. Mm. And there's a connection, I think, between placing yourself high, like that's being self-righteous. Yes. And and Luke promises, again, Jesus promises via Luke, that those who place themselves high will be brought down mm. and God will raise up the ones who are low. So, mm. so there's a kind of a high-low thing going on that, that mm. sort of intersects with the righteous, self-righteous, unrighteous mm. thing. Yeah, yeah. And again, like who is Jesus? In Luke, he's the one who gets put in a manger, in a food trough. Yes. Like, that's pretty the, low. Yes, yeah. Shepherds come and visit. Yeah. Not the Magi who come and visit. In They're, they're, they're in Matthew's Gospel. Luke yes. is all about the lowly mm. nature of Jesus. Mm. Very true. I think that was very good. I'm glad you did not let me continue on to the next question just before because I wrote down some of what you said because I I think I'll be thinking about this for a while. I'll have to re-listen to the yeah, episode I've been once it's about edited. It for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. All right, so like, on the one hand, this kind of seems like a hopeful message for some, but it also seems like there's a warning in this for others. Like, is that kind of accurate from what you can see? Absolutely. Particularly around this self-righteousness thing, because, because the way that Luke portrays it is that self-righteous causes blindness. Mm. Remember how I talked about people recognizing who Jesus was? Yes. And so one of the interesting things that you can do in reading Luke is is who recognises Jesus and who doesn't? Mm. And, and how is that related to the righteous and the sinner categories? 
So self-righteousness causes us to miss recognizing who Jesus is. And one of the most interesting stories in Luke for me is in Luke 7, the story of the woman and Simon the Pharisee. Mm -hmm. So I call it a story told twice because I think there are two stories. It's the same story, but it gets told twice, once from the perspective of Simon, Mm -hmm. the Pharisee, and once from the perspective of Jesus. So it's it's that story. It's Luke 7, 36 onwards. I think it goes to 50. Oh, yes, yep. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I've so, never yeah. had to keep my Bible in front of me so much in a podcast before, Denise. This is like I'm all really about good. Bible, Melanie. <laughs> you know, I love it. I love yeah. this stuff. What yeah. gets up in the morning. Yeah, so, so this Pharisee asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is how it plays out. The first couple of verses, let's see, 36 to 39, mm-hmm. it's, it's the story, but it's the story, it's the story of what happened, but it's the story of what happened from Simon's perspective, so Simon the Pharisee. So mm-hmm. he, he's basic, he basically says, so, you know, I invited Jesus to, to come to dinner and, and there we were, my guests, and we're enjoying our meal. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this woman appears. And I knew who she was. She was a sinner. So that language gets used, a woman of that town who was a mm. sinner. Uh, and you're just like, you wouldn't believe what she did. She, she brought her jar of perfume with her. Like that's, that's what they, these women, that sort of woman needs to cover their stench. And she comes in and mm. as brazen as anything and she, she marches over to Jesus and she starts doing these shameful, shameful things. Mm. And, again, in the Greek it's really interesting. There's, there's all these verbs in the present tense which kind of drags them out and makes them long and lingering verbs. Mm. So she, she lets down a hair. Well, that's a terrible thing to do, a woman in the company of all these men. And she she lets it swing down. She's weeping. There's tears streaming down her face. It's so much that the tears are dripping onto Jesus' feet. And then she leans down. She starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Like how shocking is that? She's mm. touching his feet. It's this sort of it's almost this erotic kind of kind of scene and and description. She starts mm. kissing his feet. And and there's Simon and his guests, and they're all respectable people, right? They're they're righteous, they're respectable, they don't know where to look. And mm. what does Jesus do? Nothing. He mm. just sits there and lets this sort of woman touch him as if this sort of thing happens every day. Mm. Uh, and then she breaks the top off a perfume jar and and just pours all this expensive perfume over over his feet. And so you hear Simon's interior monologue. You can you can read Simon's thoughts. Mm. Um, Luke puts them down there. Simon says, said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, but she's a sinner. Mm. So he misjudges Jesus. But that's that's how Simon sees what's happened. But mm. if you go to the end of that story, so around verse 44, mm-hmm. we, so we've got this little mini parable in the middle, but then we get Jesus' version of what happened. Mm. 
And so Jesus' version is something like this. So Simon invited me to dinner and I accepted his kind invitation, but when I arrived, he just ignored me. He's mm. this terrible host. No, nobody came to wash my feet. Simon didn't even give me any water so I could wash my own feet. He didn't give me a kiss of greeting. Mm. He didn't anoint my head with oil. So, so Jesus lists all these things to Simon, like you didn't do this and you didn't do this. But then this woman showed up out of nowhere mm. and she turned out to be this incredible host mm. because she didn't just provide water to wash his feet. She used her own precious tears mm. to wash his feet. And, and she dried his feet, not with some dirty old towel, but with her own hair. Mm. And she she didn't just give me a, a kiss of greeting. She she kissed my feet. And then she she anointed me, not just with an ordinary old, you know, bit of olive oil, mm. but she used this lavish perfume. Mm. And so in Jesus' eyes, Jesus sees this generous host who is far more generous, actually shows up Simon. And so we find out in Jesus' version of the story that Simon was actually a terrible host. Mm. And the turning point of this story is, is somewhere in the middle there. In, yeah, in 44, Jesus tells this parable about these two debtors. And then it says, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And that's really the hinge. Do you mm. see this woman? Because Simon thought that he could see her. He saw her actions. He saw her washing Jesus' feet. And and he judged who she was. Mm. He, he misinterpreted her actions as the actions of a sinner. Mm. And here's the really scary thing. Because he misjudged her, he misjudged Jesus. Mm. You see how that works yes. out? Like, yeah. Oh, I thought he was a prophet, but he can't be a prophet or he wouldn't let this woman touch him. But his self-righteousness, his judgment of the woman causes him to misjudge Jesus. Yeah. So he fails to see who Jesus is because he fails to see who the woman is. Yes. But the reason he fails to see who the woman is is because he failed to see who he was. Mm. And that's what the parable is about. The parable about these two debtors, and they both get their debts cancelled. One had a huge debt, and the other had a smaller debt, but mm. neither could pay their debts. So they're both debtors. They're both in this category of debtors who cannot possibly pay their debt. Mm. And and what Simon doesn't realise is he's in exactly the same category as the woman. He's a mm. debtor too, but he can't conceive that he could possibly be in the same category. As yes. So it's that, that whole blindness thing there again because yeah. he's blind to what the real intentions of the woman is and therefore yeah. it blinds him about who Jesus is. So, yeah, yeah that self-righteous blindness thing is like really coming through in that yeah. passage as well, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's everywhere as well. Mm. Yeah. So why do you think self-righteousness is even something we get caught up in? Yeah, I guess I don't really know, but I think it's got something to do with the idea that we think we're right. Mm. And when we are so very sure, like the Pharisees were very sure that they were right, 
Mm. I'm, I'm a little cautious about being quite so certain that I'm right these days. Yes. Um, and, you know, we always want to compare ourselves with others. Like it's part of human nature, isn't it? We mm. either put ourselves on a pedestal thinking that we're better than someone else or we berate ourselves because we're not as mm. good as someone else. Mm. So we we put ourselves in a different category to the people we think are beneath us, and I just think that's such a dangerous thing to do. You know, coming back to that high and low thing, I think one of the strongest messages in Luke's gospel is that if you place yourself high, if you elevate yourself, if mm. you think that you're better than other people, then you're walking on dangerous ground. Mm. It seems like in that way Luke is actually being a bit of a mirror to us, right, because he's got this theme going through where he's categorising and showing the categories and then he kind of messes it up a little bit mm. so to confuse that space. But yeah. it does seem like we have that same tendency to put our desire to put ourselves in a category and whether or not that category is I'm righteous or mm. I'm yeah, it's almost I'll like he's cautioning. Yes. Right? Like, yes. Yeah. There's something terribly, terribly wrong with me. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm a sinner at my core. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting that that message is coming through too, because it's sort of almost like, well, uh, is Luke possibly warning us to be careful the category we decide to put ourselves in, or yeah, yeah something along those lines. Yeah. 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 And yeah. There's, there's something about the solidarity of Jesus with those. You know, every single sinner, sinner in quotes, mm. flocks to Jesus. Mm. They just flock to him. They welcome him and he welcomes them. I actually, I, I had to decide on a, on a book dedication mm. when, I got my book pub, when I got my thesis published. And I, I did think about, like, doing the standard thing, like, thank you to my husband and to my wonderful children. And, yeah. and I thought about it and I thought, I mean, they didn't really help me out that much. You know, they, they looked after themselves a bit more and did their own washing, but really. So in the end, I dedicated my book to all those who have ever been labelled sinners mm. by the righteous. Yeah. And I think that that book dedication sums up what I found in Luke. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so fitting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And probably a good point for us to bring this to a close then. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed just talking with you in general. So yes. And I so appreciate what you have studied and the try to summarize what you dedicated your life to for several years into, you know, 45 minute to an hour podcast could not be more challenging, I'm sure, but I I absolutely am confident that people got a lot out of that. And so I uh, would love to hear people's feedback too. I'm sure Denise would love to hear what you guys got out of that. But thank you so much, Denise, for being on the podcast. Absolute pleasure, Melanie. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.